Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Welcome to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll hear about the AI chatbot actually useful. Air will talk through the development of its data network and the importance of voice calls. Plus, we'll look at the weird and wonderful innovations announced this week at CES. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Uh, I hope your 2023 is off to a good start. I have spent the entire week double-checking what day of the week it is and adding an extra shot of coffee uh, to every single cup that I have had. But enough about me. Let's have a look at what's going on in the world of tech. And unfortunately, the new year has picked up where 2022 left off in terms of the tech sphere. This week saw a mix of interesting innovation at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, alongside further job cuts from serious players in the industry Emmett Ryan of the Business Post is with me now to look at what was a turbulent start to the year. Emmett, let's start with those job cuts. Uh, Salesforce is cutting its headcount by around 10%. Yeah, and that follows on from them confirming uh, late last year, well, September last year, how they will be reducing their hires. So they reduced their hires by about a quarter, as in their planned hires for the year uh, worldwide, which was seen as their initial approach to cuts, so to speak which would have been, you know, we're talking about, would have been about the 5,000 mark. I think they were hiring less than usual. And so that was their initial move. Now, obviously, there's subsequently going to be further cuts. It's looking like 80 jobs being lost out of 2,000-odd in Dublin. Uh, and so, obviously, uh, very tough times in the sector. Yeah, the... the the way it was done I thought was interesting and it was much more comprehensive I suppose than what we'd seen elsewhere um, last year in terms of the the jobs announcements and the reasoning for it and so on. It does seem though that pretty much everyone overhired during the pandemic and got themselves into this mess. Yeah, I've heard this the term quite a lot overhired and I think it's letting off the tech companies a little bit too much. They hired for the demand they expected in the pandemic, but I think an awful lot of their number crunchers knew that they'd be cutting a lot of these jobs when the world reopened and just didn't want to say it at the time because it looked better to go, look at us, we're growing despite the pandemic. Just ignore us when we cut these jobs later, please. Uh, So I think it's, you know, Amazon's an obvious one we'll get to in a second in that respect. But I think with an awful lot of the overhiring, as they put it, I think there was an element of, you know, we need these people now and uh, we'll worry about the problems later. And the problems were going to come up once uh, the world reopened somewhat. Uh, Obviously, there's also the wider economic factors, which naturally came post-pandemic, like the uh, inflation and interest rate adjustments have uh, changed the amount of money floating around the market and has generally made expenses being tightened at all businesses that are often the customers of these tech companies. So it's not exactly a shock right now, Jess, and I wouldn't be surprised if 2023 was another very tough year. The one bit of bright news is that um, I think the cuts were so harsh and so rapid in 2022 compared to, say, the previous uh, emergency we had, economically speaking, uh, back at the end of the 2020s, was that I think we will only really see the heavy cuts for the next 12 months, and we should start to see a rebound in the hiring practices, if not in the economy. Uh, That's for somebody smarter than me, or at least more confident than me, uh, to say in 2024. Yeah, and that is something to, I suppose, hold on to. But for the people impacted by these job cuts or the people working in the tech sector, it is a bit of a shock to the system because 
we were so reliant on technology during the pandemic and people who'd never engaged with technology were suddenly reliant on it. And a lot of the people like my age and younger, they don't necessarily, they wouldn't have worked through the recession, for example. So this might be their first experience of it. And I think it is worrying the fact that it's sector wide because there was this notion a few years ago that if you had tech qualifications, you could just walk into any company and you'd be grand. Yeah, there definitely was that. And thanks for aging me as well, Jess. Like first well, time on your show in a new year and you're pointing out how I'm that much older than you. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, no, there, there certainly was that attitude. And like the salaries that were going were all, you know, eye popping for those of us with jobs that aren't in the tech sector, even though we cover it. And so it was kind of going, yeah, great, great. And people were spending like they were going to be paid that money forever. And in fairness, most of them will still keep their jobs, just to be clear. And most of the ones who are losing their jobs will get back into it within the next few months, I expect, because there is still a lot of demand in other in other companies. But certainly there's, you know, when you're employed and you're in a sector that isn't always at risk, and I can only think of one sector that comes to mind for always at risk because we both work in it, uh, that, you know, you generally aren't worried about when you're getting going to lose your job because that's just going to make you sad. And I think that's a very healthy approach. Unfortunately, even when you do lose your job, there needs to be some sort of supports in place. Obviously, we've seen some companies have done it the wrong way, uh, possibly, you know, rhyming with Ritter, uh, and others have done it, you know, a better way, as in try to actually support people. Now, you know, okay, the call is a bit, a bit over, oh, it'd be great if you could hire our staff in that sense, uh, but, you know, in sort of the over-emotional sense of, well, if they're that great, you know, could you not have found a way to keep them? Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's an odd situation. I suppose Amazon, though, is a unique one, Jess, when it comes to Ireland, because Amazon, the number of jobs that could be lost in Ireland, I and I was chatting over this with other technology journalists uh, on, on, on Thursday morning, it's the widest range in terms of guessing how many will be affected, I think I've had in any job cuts I've ever co- covered. It could be as high as 700 isn't implausible out of 5,000. It could be as low as, and also not implausible, zero. Because it yeah. really does depend on where Amazon's cutting. And I think it's more likely to be the zero than a 700, which, you know, isn't just me, you know, being awfully happy because I'm noted for being a bit pessimistic on your show and then finishing off with a bit of happiness. It comes down to where Amazon has made most of its cuts and where most of it it's excessive as opposed to overhiring was done during the pandemic, which was in its fulfillment center business. It's only got the one fulfillment center in Ireland. It's still not fully staffed. Frankly speaking, they probably don't have the uh, space to actually cut people in that in Ireland right now. And, you know, you could be talking in, you know, zero, like I said, or could even be only a couple of dozen, which is still unfortunate for those couple of dozen, just to be clear. But when you're comparing that to if we were impacted at the level worldwide of or excessively worldwide at up to 700, like it's a wild difference. And I've never seen a range this long because obviously we're talking napkin mats here at the moment. We don't know any detail really until the 18th is an Amazon said they'll have more more accurate detail. I think we want about Ireland for another month because I think the accurate global detail is all about getting the 18th. It'll be another two weeks before we really see, I think, the region by region breakdown of that. And so as a result, like Ireland may yet get spared despite this. Now, and remember, it's 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 18,000 were announced by Amazon today, but it's really 8,000 because it already announced 10,000 before Christmas. And that 10,000, there was broad confidence that none of those jobs affected will be in Ireland. So it's really out of these 8,000, how many are affected. 
Yeah, and I, I think before Christmas, um, I had a report, which you can listen back to on the News Talk app, powered by Go Loud, uh, out at the Irish Fulfillment Centre, um, the Amazon uh, Fulfillment Centre here in Dublin. And the impression that I got was that they're only going to grow uh, in that operation. But it, it's a reminder, I suppose, of the scale and the breadth of a company like Amazon, that they have all these other divisions. They have things like office admins and HR and you know, there's a lot more bodies than what we're all aware of. So, you know, fingers crossed, Irish jobs are protected. But I just think, I just find it fascinating that these companies that we're so reliant on and they're going to continue to innovate regardless of whether they cut, you know, eight jobs or 8,000 or 18,000. Um, it's just a strange one to try and, I suppose, get your head around to a certain extent. It is. And like also even like, you know, for a lot of people like myself, how we've become reliant on Amazon has changed wildly over the years. Like I used to be someone who did a lot of purchasing on Amazon. I don't really buy anything on Amazon now. And it's not for moral reasons. It's honestly uh, user experience. I just find the website inferior to most other direct purchases. So I rarely buy from there. And also there's the awkwardness of, you know, where you're buying it from and all that. Whereas, but like, you know, Amazon Web Services, like most people, I, and most of them I don't even know it, I'm leaning on heavily uh, because many of the places I'm connected to the internet are leaning on AWS. Many of the things I'm connected to on the internet are leaning on AWS. So even though I myself may not be using the consumer form of Amazon to the same degree I used to, I'm certainly using that more. And obviously Prime Video is another area I will, I would say using more, but actually using around the same as I had from since the start of the pandemic because all my streaming services get an awful lot of love from me, Jess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would believe that. I, I do think it'll be interesting to see how this all pans out and who remembers what in terms of this is going to be a crappy period for want of a better phrase for an awful lot of people. And I just think, you know, who you back and why you back them is going to matter and I'm not talking about Amazon I'm talking about companies as a whole like we saw this with Twitter a lot of people were saying oh screw this I'm going to Mastodon a lot of people didn't actually leave in the end so I just think like we need to just be be mindful that these like there are jobs at stake people's livelihoods at stake so we just do need to be a bit mindful of that Oh, yeah. But like, again, I think, though, you're saying, will they follow companies that, you know, do right by people or good services? I think quite often it's the same ones. The ones that show the putting effort into doing right by their staff are often the ones that are also doing right by user experience because sort of the, the two seem to go naturally together. So it won't necessarily be because you're right, the end user will be particularly moral. It's because that company, which is done right by its staff, has probably put more effort into ensuring the user experience of its product remains at a level that I, the customer, expect. And, uh, you know, frankly, I think the, co- the companies which have gone about it the wrong way, so to speak, I mentioned uh, Twitter, obviously, the user experience has dropped. And it's not just because of XYZ being back on the platform, just to be clear. I mean, the overall experience has, has dropped and I notice I'm using it less. And so, you know, I'm not saying I've jumped to another platform heavily. I have a Mastodon account, but I'm not using it that often, to be honest. But I just mm-hmm. find I'm just not using Twitter as much as I was. Uh, that's entirely anecdotal, obviously, but it shows sort of, you know, you know, that, that there is an element of the companies which care uh, it isn't that they are like emotively caring. It's that they realize that to keep the customer caring, they've got to care, uh, you know, and so there's a there's a commercial benefit in caring. Yeah, totally. I saw a stat uh, earlier in the week that kind of made me sit up and it's from uh, Challenger Grey, which is like a HR news outlet thing. And they said that 97,000 jobs, uh, tech jobs were cut in 2022. That's up 649% from 2021, which is a, a pretty stark oh. stat. 
That's a lot of jobs. Um, but look, obviously our thoughts are with the people who have been impacted and who will be impacted, but I guess uh, only time will tell how severe it will be. Uh, let's move to a happier topic, and that is the madness of the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. I have been following it. I've been looking at what the different brands have been sending out, and I've been reading the press releases. And it's funny, the stuff that I'm most excited by is the stuff that's utterly bananas and I would never spend a cent on it. Uh, same, to be honest, yeah. Like, I always, when it comes to CES, I have no intention of ever going because the idea has been in the first week of the new year in Las Vegas and I actually like visiting Vegas. It's extremely unappealing to me, to be honest. But mm-hmm. there's one company of the, of the well-known brands, just to be clear, that I always look out for at CES, and that's LG. And they've got a couple mm-hmm. of absolutely bonkers ones uh, this time so there's two of them i'm going to give you there first of all there's styler shoe care which sneakerheads will love so it's a high-tech approach to um cleaning your shoes basically jess your runners uh so it's like looks like a locker and essentially it like you know uses uh, what it's got to called true stream nozzles and they deodorize your shoes in 37 minutes and there's a companion shoe case for you to show off your fresh shoes right afterwards uh so and the other one is a fridge uh which again how do you make a fridge silly well lg will find a way their mood up fridge which has color changing doors and a bluetooth speaker to make the kitchen the center of the action so you can customize the backlit panels with 190,000 color combos uh, to match your cooking mood so they those two jumped out to me from lg to match your cooking mood sorry now go away and whistle like who comes up with this stuff I mean, a lot of people get really bored at work, Jess, and come sometimes just go that <laughs> their imaginations run wild. Uh, but, you know, like now, I have the hair color issue with this one. You have the hair length to do it, though, you know, whereas, whereas I'm obviously white on top. Uh, there's a, a, a device uh, called from Prinker, uh, and uh, it's basically you can dye your hair with a printer. Uh, it's uh, So it's, it's the way you can get temporary tattoos, you can just rub this along your hair, and it'll mm-hmm. dye it a temporary colour, Jess. Well, I, I actually, as much as, thankfully, I don't need it because I get my hair dyed in the salon, uh, I, I do think some of the most interesting innovations come from some of the beauty companies and our beauty-related products. L'Oreal, I was talking to Dermot and Dave on Today FM about this earlier in the week. L'Oreal are continuing to innovate. They have a huge R&D and innovation plant where they're looking at beauty related issues and they're constantly trying to find new ways to solve issues and as eye-rolly as it might be you know if you go on to Instagram or TikTok you'll see uh, influencers pushing products that are more useless than that. Oh yeah and like frankly speaking like the beauty sector is a market which is always looking for you know new ideas like Mm. it's one that's very open to creativity so it's an area where naturally innovation to me makes a great deal of sense. One which probably isn't quite as glamorous. There is uh, Withings, Withings, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it. Withings, yeah. Withings, in toilet sensors. Yeah, I, 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 again, I mentioned this to Kieran Cuddy the other day because Kieran is always talking about pee, right? He's always saying that you should never be able to see the colour of your pee. And he talks about it. He's an athlete who does marathons and all the rest. And so when I saw... Long, by the way, but... Uh, we'll get back to that. <laughs> he, uh, but but when I saw this, th- he was the first person I thought of. So remind us what this one does. 
So basically it can scan your pee for uh, working out if you're low in nutrients or if you're ovulating or anything that basically your pee can tell. Uh, and it's like it's, it's sort of like one of those like air fresheners you stick in the loo to look at. And basically, you know, if you're a bloke, gives you a target, uh, I suppose. Uh, and uh, yeah, it can, the companion app can give you health readings over time. Uh, another silly one, uh, nowhere near as, uh, you know, uh, awkward to talk about as that, but I would argue dumber. Uh, Volkswagen's car that syncs with music, the ID7. It's a concept vehicle, just to be clear, so it's not going to be on the road for a while yet, and I would say hopefully never. QR code, code themed digital camouflage divided into 22 zones, and it can light up separately, transforming the entire exterior into a music visualizer tied to the car's audio system. So let's think about this. You're in the car, and so you can't see all this, you know, while you're playing your music. Some poor fecker beside you is seeing oh, this car madly changing lights throughout the time and it's like who is this Egypt like to use a, a Jess Kelly uh, go-to option there so yeah that's not one for me I'll be honest although I can't drive anyway so I'm only ever going to be the um, the one who, who struggles but one which now I'm sure my flatmate would love if I got to make her feel better about the uh, overall aroma in the apartment uh, it's an aromatherapy shower spray uh, Kohler have produced this and uh, it basically does what it says. It brings spa scents into the shower and it infuses water with vitamins and scents. So, you know, uh, I'd come out fresher and smelling better just than I ever did before. Okay, I think we're going to have to leave it there because if my eyes roll one more time... Uh, Can I give you one dumber one before we go? Okay, last one. Last one. Go last for it. One. Samsung's bespoke AI wall oven. You can live stream the inside of the oven. Why? That is a perennial question, Jess Kelly. Okay, on that really informative and thought-provoking uh, notion, Emmett Ryan of the Business Post, as ever, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you, Jess. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to hear about the AI chatbot that's actually useful. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, we often hear quite a bit about artificial intelligence, and sometimes we don't even know when we're interacting with it or benefiting from it. But there's something new that's causing quite a stir, and it's called ChatCPT. It looks to be a more sophisticated AI bot that is actually beneficial. Imagine that. Uh, Fergal Reid is the Director of Machine Learning at Intercom and he joins me now to talk through what it is and how we could all benefit from it. Uh, Fergal, welcome to the show. Just to start, can you give me a bit of a dummy's guide to chat CPT? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jess. I'm d- delighted to be here. Um, so chat GPT is a new, I guess, product or a new service um, by a company called OpenAI. And where people can kind of go to the OpenAI website and they can talk to this bot. And what's kind of interesting and different about this is the sophistication of this bot. There's really nothing as sophisticated as this that it's been possible for, you know, random members of the public to just go and talk to before. And so it's very exciting because I think people are starting to talk to this bot and starting to go, wow, the technology here has really come along in recent years. There's something very exciting happening. If you talk to this bot and you kind of ask it to write you a poem or to generate um, a paragraph list about the longest river in Ireland or whatever it might be, it, it does a really good job of understanding your query and giving you a reasonable answer. 
And I, I think it's it, it's it's a bit of a, a moment for people. They can kind of look at this and they go, wow, this technology has really come on a lot. This thing understands what I'm saying way more than what we might have used in bots two, three years ago. So I think people are very excited about that. Yeah, and, and it is, it's more sophisticated than anything I'd seen before. And, you know, people are used to now asking their smart assistance questions or turning to Google and putting in, you know, I don't know, how do I knit a scarf or something like that? And what Google will do is pull up tons and tons of pages and tutorials and videos and all kinds of results which are useful. But what I've gathered from my time using ChatGPT is that it condenses the information into a paragraph. It might give you bullet points or number points and write it as if we're having a conversation rather than a robot is telling me, step one, do this. You know, it's much more conversational and a much more natural way of communicating, I think. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And I, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head there. What, what really feels different about this is its ability to kind of, you know, synthesize, to kind of like take answers from a bunch of different sources and kind of put them together into something that, you know, isn't exactly like the document that originally got the information from. And, so, you know, you can ask a question that isn't exactly answered in some documented scene, and it can kind of like, quote unquote, understand your query well enough to, to sort of take the information you want and rewrite it and give you a very natural answer. And, you know, this technology across the industry has been getting better and better in the last few years, but it really feels like this is sort of crossing a threshold where people are kind of looking at it and going, wow, this is better than I expected. I didn't know machine learning and AI could do this. And now it seems like it can. Wow. What's the limits? Where is this going to go next? And um, I think that's why people are really excited about it. Yeah, I've been testing it out, just having little basic conversations about, you know, testing on, on things like, you know, what is quantum computing? What is GDPR? You know, the, the big questions that you usually have to read dozens and dozens of pages to try and get across. And it does, you know, synthesize the element. Like, obviously, it's not going to give you a comprehensive overview, but it does give you a decent starting point, I suppose. And what I like is that it remembers the context of your previous question uh, to then give you further information if you ask a follow-up. So you're not having to do that extensive paragraph yourself to try and get to the information you're looking for. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think one sort of acid test of this is if you ask it to summarize content, or even if you if you give it new content that hasn't seen before, and you ask it to summarize that for you, it, it it's really good at that in a way that the technology we've seen, again, up until two, three years ago, just wasn't. And um, this won't just extract the one or two key sentences or do its best job to do that. Instead, it'll really rewrite it in a way that feels very natural and very human-like. And that, that definitely feels like a new capability, something we haven't seen before. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's this very large neural network underneath the hood that's been trained and that OpenAI have spent tens of millions of dollars on computing time to, to actually train it. And so, you know, it's a very powerful system. It's a very new system. And I, I think it's, it's, it's amazing when you interact with it and see kind of the leap in quality that that power gets you. 
I want to talk a little bit about what's feeding it and where the information comes from because I found one or two examples where the information isn't correct or it's not up to date. Does it take stuff from Google? Are there specific databases that were fed in? What way does that work? So a, a lot of a lot of these large language models is, is, is what we call them. A lot of them, how good they get really depends on how much training data you give them. And so what anyone building these models like OpenAI are trying to do is they're trying to go and a bit like how Google does, they go and they kind of generate it, they, they download a whole lot of web pages from the internet, basically everything they can get their hands on. And then they, they, they kind of, they put that into the model and the model sort of tries to predict what the next word will be as it sort of, that, 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 you know, that, that, that's essentially what it sets out to do is, is to learn how to predict what the next word it's going to see will be as it reads. And then over time, it sort of it gets better and better at, you know, understanding, quote unquote, like it gets it get better and better at working with language just by that task. So people put a whole lot of content into them and then, you know, it, it sort of compresses that down and gets better at sort of, you know, generating text given a question. And I I, 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 I sort of think that um, the, the big surprise here is, is how good it gets at answering questions that were not in its training data, just mm. given that whole process. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't... It, it, it's important to not think of this like a human. It is, it's not, it doesn't understand things like a human does. It's not like alive or sentient or anything like that. And so if you ask it something that's not in its training data, it will often give you a plausible but incorrect answer. It sort of, it does its best job at sort of figuring out, hey, what should I say here next? Mm. Which isn't the same as like, trying to tell you something that's true now often they overlap but sometimes they don't and sometimes when it doesn't know something it it will just give you text that seems plausible but is actually wildly wrong and wildly incorrect there was a famous um chatbot experiment a few years ago on i think it was on twitter it was the taylor ai which was a chatbot and humans being humans instantly they started manipulating it and there was also an app that did the rounds a few years ago called Sim Simi. We saw elements of AI being sort of weaponized in schoolyards and online. How and is it possible to protect this type of sophisticated system from manipulation? Because obviously if it is that would have consequences far beyond cyberbullying. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's, that's a great question, an important question. And um, one thing that it, it's certainly a question that folks training these models care about and are working on, and they refer to it as alignment. And one thing that differentiates ChatGPT from previous models that, you know, OpenAI have worked on is this sort of, you know, something they call reinforcement learning from human feedback which mm. is basically that they get humans to go and rate, hey, this is a good response from the bot, this is a bad response from the bot, to try and like teach it to say things that are kind of better in some sense, more like what we would want to do. That can be used to try and prevent it, it giving incorrect content. It can be used to try and prevent giving malicious content. 
I, I would say that this is early days in this field yeah. and, you know, people could definitely use, you know, tools like this to do bad things. Um, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's a powerful new technology and like any powerful new technology, you know, you could use this to generate a lot of spam content or a lot of low quality content that, you know, seems superficially right, but it's just sort of like spam and, you know, there's going to be issues with all this sort of technology around, hey, how do we tell, you know, what's good content generated by a human expert from, you know, sort of like low quality spam generated by a language model. And, um, you know, there's a lot of application areas where the, the, there will be negative consequences for these things. But there's also a lot of application areas where it'll be very positive co uh, yeah. consequences. You know, businesses, um answering customer support queries that can maybe have bots built in these things that can understand what people are saying in a little bit more detail and kind of get you know help them out get automate um get people answers to their questions a little bit faster so there's you know there's lots of very positive applications of this but there's absolutely um risks with any sort of really powerful new technology as well yeah, and I suppose I probably shouldn't have led with the, the, the negative question because we will get into some of the positives now. But I suppose at a time when, you know, mis and disinformation is so rife, a tool like this could be so beneficial to help identify, you know, if it's trained in such a way. But anyway, let's move off the negatives. I want to talk about some of the, the applications of it because uh, last year, I think it was, I was talking to a legal firm who were talking about how they use AI when it comes to big cases. So when there's a huge amount of paperwork involved uh, and they want to reference certain pages or certain points or, you know, rather than going, you know, Act 3.4, Mark 2 or whatever it is, the AI can help speed up that process. And that seems to be something that could be so beneficial in loads of different industries. Is it possible for a business to feed in their relevant information to chat GPT to get more relevant information back or would that be a tailored product for that individual business? I, I think that, that's a great question. Chat GPT is OpenAI have sort of built it at the moment and um, you can give it like a little bit of information you know a few pages worth of information as you kind of ask it a question and because you can say like hey summarize the document um, but you can't actually sort of train it on your business specifically. Okay. However, OpenAI, they also, they have um, a range of models, the GPT-3, GPT-3.5, that do allow you to, some of which allow you to do things like that to kind of train it for your business. And that's still a little technical and a little sophisticated. So, you know, it's probably out of reach or it's, it's, pro it's probably a little bit too technical for, for most sort of small and medium businesses today. Um, but there's there's plenty of companies who will then build on top of that technology to build products that do exactly what you're saying there. Um, the company I work with, Intercom, um, we are at the moment we're trialing a summarization feature uh, built on GPT-3. So this is um, this is something like where there could be a very long customer support chat and a new support agent comes to the case and they get this beautiful summary of what's happened so far so that the customer doesn't have to repeat everything to them. And mm -hmm. so I that's one example of many applications that are just 
unlocked now where it's like, hey, we can speed up somebody working with a large amount of text data by giving them a summary or by helping answer questions from it just that little bit faster than, uh, than we would have been able to before. Just makes people more efficient and removes a little bit of drudge work um, uh, possibly on both sides of the interaction. If I was to have this open on my desk and use it as a, a work companion, I suppose, um, from, from my day in Newstalk. So I'm talking to you now. Later on in the show, I'm going to be talking to somebody else. If I wanted to do prep work and so on, is it realistic to think that I could use Chat GPT as an alternative to Google and as not quite a personal assistant, but, you know, getting bits and pieces done to help in my research rather than having 17 tabs open on a browser? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a really interesting question and it's, it's, it's a very important question for the industry. I, I noticed Microsoft, who make a search engine called Bing that competes with Google, just sort of announced um, that they're going to try and use this sort of technology um, you know, to kind of have a more conversational search experience. So it, it, it's definitely an open question and a question a lot of people are very interested in at the moment. Mm. Um, you know... There is an issue around knowing when it's giving you accurate information versus when it's sort of making something up. And obviously, this is an issue with the Internet generally. Uh, there's sort of there's a skill to telling whether you're reading fake news or, or you're reading kind of accurate information out there. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I would say that if you're looking for something where you can kind of you can recognize the right answer, you can spot when it's telling you something that's accurate versus when it's sort of you know hallucinating or making things up then it can be very useful it can be very useful for kind of getting an overview um i i don't think it can quite replace um a traditional search experience at the moment i I think instead that it's 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 a really interesting step towards you know a more kind of human-centric conversational interface you know, we're evolved to have conversations with each other. We're evolved to talk to each other and get information that way. And, you know, I, I think that there is something potentially magical coming down the line here, which is, you know, something where you can get your information in a, in a much more conversational, much more human-centric style. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't say it's quite ready to replace Google at the moment, but I definitely think a lot of people are paying a lot of attention to this to this direction and this capability that, that has unlocked. Okay, well, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens next and where this will go. And as you mentioned, it's kind of unlocking doors for many others to follow suit. Uh, Fergal Reid of Intercom, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thanks a million, Jess. Pleasure to be here. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, the equivalent of 5 million movie downloads took place across Air's mobile network between December 24th and 28th. That is bonkers. And while we all benefit from good connectivity, there's a ton of work that goes on behind the scenes to make that all happen. Fergal McCann is Director of Mobile Networks at AIR and he joins me now. Fergal, before we get lost in the detail of the data and look ahead to future trends, the rate of change and the pace of change in this field must have been phenomenal over the last number of years, never mind 10 years. Well, if we look back over the last year alone, 2022, we've had an extremely busy year. Um, for us in, in Air Mobile, we have grown our network by over 600 sites in the year 
Um, that means that more communities, more villages, more towns, more cities are connected uh, to high-speed mobile uh, data. And I guess what we're seeing as a trend is the usage on that has grown exponentially over the last number of years. Um, for 2022, we'd seen over 40% traffic growth um, on our mobile network. And that, has, that trend has continued over the last five years, where each of those years we've been over 40%. And I guess that was probably driven on significantly through the early um through early 2020 in terms of covid where we changed our lifestyle we work from home we work remotely um, and we see a lot more usage in more rural areas than we would have had prior to that point and um, but that trend has certainly continued through 2021 and again through 2022 when you talk about the um 600 uh, sites and so on what is that and is, is are they areas that is that primarily for data rather than voice? And is, is much of the infrastructure needing to get upgraded or rebuilt or built in for the first time? No, it's a mixture of both. So our focus is to enhance our network to support both voice and data. Um, so certainly we're seeing significant growths on data, but equally voice is really important. Uh, if we look back through 2022, we've optimized an awful lot of our network to support Volte, which is voice over LTE, which gives you a lot better connection time on your voice call, but also you end up with a lot a lot better high quality um, high definition voice call. Um, so that quality and experience is really important customers, particularly when they're out on the move, uh, but also when they're working from home in this instance, where you know, where you're trying to make calls, important calls and record them as the case may be. And uh, we've all experienced that frustrating uh, issue if you are on a Zoom call or a Teams call and it skips or it buffers or you don't have that reliable connection. It can be so frustrating. Um, and although a lot of us would have decent enough internet to our homes, I know myself, I turn to my phone quite a good bit to do calls over 4G and 5G for that reliable connection. And I suppose that leads me to the the bigger picture of looking ahead to mobile networks. It does seem to be an incredibly reliable way for us to have that continuous connection that's going to be vital for remote working, for the metaverse and all the other things that are coming down the tracks. Well, exactly. And that's why, you know, a lot of the sites that we're developing are to enhance both voice and data services in those areas. If we look forward to 2023, we will build uh, and grow our network by another 400 sites. And that's communities and that's families that have a poor connection today. And that, uh, you know, and that's in, in areas that would have poor fiber connectivity as well. So that's really important for those customers. Um, and we will continue to expand and work with, within those communities and work with our partners to develop new sites within within those areas so that our customers who are sitting at home, uh, be it working remotely or living life remotely, that they can actually stay connected. And I'm, I'm a bit of a data nerd and I'm always interested to see or to get a bit of insight into the level of data and breakdown that the networks can get as to how and why people are using their devices and how and why people are using their connectivity. When it comes to mobile data, are people streaming content or do they do that in the home Wi-Fi network? Is there a distinction? Can you distinguish between the two? 
Not necessarily, but we're seeing significant amounts of streaming traffic. Um, so if you look at the the growth in mobile data, it's phenomenal over the last number of years. You know, to be growing over forty percent um, in a year is an absolute phenomenal amount of data traffic. And if you look at the, some of our stats over the Christmas period, we saw that um, Christmas Eve, in particular, was the busiest voice. Um, Day, um, we saw over 12 million minutes of voice on our on the Air Mobile network over that day, and that's where customers, our customers, are connecting with family and friends ahead of the Christmas period. And then, if you look to data, our busiest data day was the 27th of December, so straight after the Christmas, when people are starting to move out again, um, or they're relaxing at home and streaming. Um, we saw a phenomenal amount of data up for up over 40% on that particular day uh, versus the same day last year. And that trend is certainly cer certain to continue, Jess. Um, we, we'd expect as we go into 2023 that both our 5G traffic and our overall data traffic will continue at the same sort of growth trajectory as we've seen over the last three, four years. Hmm. I, I, I've i always had this frustration when we talk about 5G, some people roll their eyes to the skies going, sure, weren't we grand with 4G or what, what, what was ever wrong with 3G? Can you just explain again and illustrate the benefits that will come from 5G? Maybe not everyone's feeling it right now. Maybe not everyone has it right now. But it is the key to unlocking a whole host of other potentials that we haven't even dreamed up yet. Yeah, so so 5G is the latest um, mobile network technology. Um, it's typically about 10 times faster than that of 4G. And as guess as content grows, um, particularly as high definition content grows, that's where 5G becomes more and more important. So the key benefits of 5G is that it has a lot more capacity. So for, for me, uh, as a manager of a network, it gives me a lot more capacity to ensure that our customers stay connected. It has a lot higher data speeds, so typically 10 times faster than that of 4G. Uh, and thirdly, and more importantly, it has a low latency. So a lot of our, our mobile network sites are connected via fiber back into uh, back into our, uh, our overall network. So it ensures that our customers have a low latency connection. That's really important when you're using real-time applications or gaming as an example. Um, you need a, a really reliable low latent connection so that you, you can run that real-time application. Um, and that's where 5G is, is playing its strengths. And that's where it's, it's really important and becoming more and more important to our customers. Again, over the Christmas period and through 2022, we doubled our traffic on our 5G network. And again, I expect that that trend will continue into 2023 as more and more customers avail of 5G and as, as, it, as our reach extends um, you know, fully nationwide uh, as we go into 2023. Mm. I mentioned at the start of the show that uh, CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, is on in Las Vegas this week and they're showcasing all kinds of amazing and somewhat bonkers technology. But at the core of every single device that was unveiled this week, you know, you need to have a, an internet connection. So data is only going to become more and more important, whether that is fixed line or whether it is mobile data. How much does a network like Air look at what's coming down the tracks in terms of product and consumer innovation to understand and maybe predict what's needed in terms of capacity on the network? Well, I think you're quite correct. Everything that's coming is is just more and more connections. So for us, we're we're assuming that our network size um, and our capacity is going to have to double for next year. And that's why we're planning so many additional sites. We're densifying our network further. 
we're increasing our capacity in those sites, we're adding more spectrum to those sites, and we're planning for a growth of 100% on a year-by-year -year basis. Um, and that has been our, our working model for the last number of years. And I guess you're quite correct when you look at some of the innovations coming from um, from Vegas this year, it's very much around connections. It's you know it's around health uh, promotional activity, uh, and it's ensuring you know each of them is, is going to require a data connection. It's going to take up bandwidth, and for us, it's, it's really important that we stay ahead of that uh, and plan. And hence, we double our network size every year. So there's a huge amount of investment going on uh, financially as well as in terms of, um, you know, human power and making all of this a reality. But we've also noticed um, that the mobile space is interesting in terms of the competition. So Air, for example, obviously has GOMO, which changed the game entirely and it pushed everybody to look at their offering to make sure it was affordable and good value, and obviously it reimagined customer service as well because it's all done through the the online essentially. Yeah. In terms of Air's mobile networks, and in terms of the pricing, to ensure that the business is still in a good place, how and where in the food chain, I suppose, do, do, do discussions around uh, price points and so on come into the equation to ensure that you know you're making money as well as providing a good service. Well, we have to make we have to make sure that any products that we put out there that are sustainable. Um, so we we're trying to balance that equation between offering value for money, offering a great service, ensuring that our customers can can stay connected and making sure it's sustainable to the investment that we need to put into our network. So it's a difficult enough equation, um, and it's one that we we have to toil with every day. Um, but our focus for 2023 is to continue to expand our network, to grow our network, to increase our capacity, to connect more communities, you know, to build an awful lot of additional sites and work with those communities to ensure that, you know, they, they have a very reliable high-speed mobile data service, uh, and particularly in a timeline where, you know, fibre may, may or may not be available in those communities for a few years to come. And that's an important point uh, in terms of uh, ensuring that our customers can, can utilise mobile within that space and that is sustainable for them for the future. Mm. Um, I know I've just been talking about Vegas there and I'm always looking ahead and in a few weeks time hopefully we'll have a new flagship phone from Samsung later in the year we'll have the new iPhone they are very much uh, continuing to innovate in terms of what they're offering the consumer but one of the big les lessons learned during COVID was that our phones are more than just a phone they're not just a communication device now like I, I often say I could do 98% of my job with just my phone and a 4 or 5G connection, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Do, do you get excited when you see the innovations coming down because you could see the potential that people can get from the connection that you guys are offering, you know, through just a handheld device? Uh, it's, it's really transformative, to be honest. If you look back a number of years when, you know, we had... You know, feature phones as such, without any smart sort of smart intelligence, it's it's, a, it's quite amazing the journey we've come through. But to be honest, that's the life we live at this point. So uh, you know, everybody has multiple devices at this point, uh, and we need to ensure that they're connected. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, for us from a network perspective, it's about voice traffic and it's about data traffic, and it's up to us to ensure that you know we put that technology out there that our customers can use, that they have access to, that it's affordable for them, uh, and also that our network stands up to the capacity demands that's there. And we expect that to, to continue to to be a key highlight for 2023. 
Yeah, my final question relates to voice calls. So I have a stat in front of me that says that air customers, there was 12 million minutes of mobile voice calls recorded on Christmas Eve, which is bonkers. And I I, I, I suppose I'm a texter. I hate talking to people despite my job. If I could text someone, I absolutely will. Have you noticed any trends in terms of the use of the voice network? Is it still... Uh, important is it growing now that more people uh, have ditched the landline, or is it suffering slightly at the the notion of you know Ring Central or some of those uh, voice over IP uh, offerings? Um, it's still really important. Um, so that stat alone is is you know demonstrates that. But that said, there is a, a slight uh, slowdown in voice traffic. Um, you know, if we go back two three years, COVID changed that again. Um, so, you know, in the first two, three months of COVID, when we were all in lockdown, we saw a 38% increase in voice traffic on the mobile network. Uh, that trend continued through, you know, the lockdowns of 2021. And then we saw a degradation or a slowdown on that. Uh, and that has sustained itself at this point. So it's still really important, but you're quite correct. I think we are seeing a little bit of a a, a slow and long um slowdown of voice traffic um, but based on the stats we've seen it's still really really important for our customers uh, and service that we certainly wouldn't be in a position to to cancel or stop at any point in time. Yeah I think it shows that it's exciting that we still we're still not there yet and this is something that's never going to be finished there's always going to be innovation and evolution of the product and the services that are out there so I think it's kind of exciting. Uh, Virgil it's been a pleasure to have you on the show thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you, Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, that was Fergal McCann, Director of Mobile Networks at Air. And that's it from me this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with you next week here on News Talk. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.